So, growing up, I grew up in a kind of religious home, but I was un- unconverted. And Christmas was the best time of the year. Christmas, I'm just going to be just, just frank. Christmas meant presents. We were going to get presents, and my little brother Jimmy and I, well, there's six siblings, and there were so many presents, and we went absolutely crazy. We were out of control, just, just loving Christmas. Some of you remember the days... Before there were DVDs, before there was an internet, before there was all of those ways that you can watch things, when it, if something was on TV, you, you prepared beforehand. You, you got it, you made the pop. I mean, it was on, and if you didn't see it, you missed it. And, and so Christmas was very special. We would look in the paper every single day to find out when our favorite Christmas specials were on because we watched them every single year. And, of course, one of them was The Grinch. <laughs> and... The Grinch has this conversion experience. He is he has robbed Whoville of all of the gifts, and he is he can't wait to hear the boo-hooing of the Who's and the sorrow, and they have caused him so much trouble with all of their noise at Christmas and all of their songs, and he can't wait to hear this sound. And he he steals all the gifts and he comes up and and he listens and the Whovilles, the Whovillians, <laughs> are singing. They're gathered in a circle. There's no Christmas tree. There's none of the trappings. The toys are not there. And they are singing. And the Grinch has this moment where he, he says, maybe, maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe, possibly, just maybe, it's about something more. And there, from my earliest days, there was a tug that this must be about something more. This must be about something more than Christmas presents. We would always carol as a family. We would, we would sing carols. We would, we would have parties where there would be caroling. And even as a young person that, that really had very little spiritual life at all, I mean, almost none, even I knew there is a difference between Jingle Bells and Oh Holy Night. I, even I knew at that time, there, there's something about these carols. There's a difference between Santa Claus is coming to town and Silent Night. There was, a, there was an awe. There was a sense that there is something beyond. And now, I'm going to just say it. It was the Christmas carols. Even though I, there was an ache that there was something more, I, didn't, I couldn't grasp it. It was, it was kind of like the Whoville, the Whovillians singing. No one really knows what that song is they're singing. It's just kind of 
Yahoo Dora or something. Anyway, um, and then of course the most overt is the Charlie Brown Christmas. We would, we would all be we would all be around the the TV watching the Charlie Brown Christmas, and for some reason, they have Charlie Brown be the one to select the tree for the Christmas party. And he goes to the, the Christmas tree park and it's all commercial and glitzy and loud and, and there's all of these contemporary trees and, and in the midst of it, there is this little, lonely, pathetic Christmas tree and, and Charlie Brown just, he feels bad for this tree. The tree is kind of like him. It's just a kind of a failure as a tree. And he just, he has mercy on this tree and he brings it back and he, he just feels like he's done something good. And he brings it back to the party and, and all of his friends and everybody mocks him and laughs and you can't do any, you can't even get a Christmas tree chart. Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. And then Charlie Brown asked this question. Is there anyone who knows what Christmas is really all about? <laughs> and then you've got Linus in his understated way. Yeah, Charlie Brown, I'll tell you what Christmas is all about. He walks out onto the platform. He says, lights, a spotlight hits him. And he reads Luke chapter 2. Would you stand together as we read the word of God together? <clears throat> so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him. And was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace on those whom his favor rests. Oh, that's it. That's verse 14. Let's pray. Lord, I just, I just really believe you have a word for every heart. Please hide me behind your cross so that we can hear and respond to what you are speaking to each one of us. And we will give you the praise for every good thing that happens here. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. 
So the title of the message is Silent Night, and I want us to contemplate first the silence of Mary and Joseph. We read these words every year, and it's, it's really easy to skip, kind of just skip over what's actually happening. It says that he, th- there was a, a census, an empire-wide census, um, to give an oath to Augustus, and uh, the, all of the whole Roman Empire had to be part of it, and So they're on their way to Bethlehem, which is how you did a Jewish census. You always went to your hometown because that's where your property was. Property was all returned in the year of Jubilee. So everybody has to go back to their own property. And, And it says Joseph, Mary was expecting and Joseph was ple- had pledged to be married to her. That means they are engaged in our, in our vernacular. Back then it was called betrothal. <laughs> they are engaged, not married. And she is pregnant. That's not that big of an issue today. But back then, their whole society, it's all based on religion. It's all, it's all, their whole government is a religious government. To have a baby out of wedlock, to be pregnant before you were married, would, would bring what I'm just calling the silence of shame. Just every time they saw her, she's, she's great with child, every time they see her, it's just... Whenever she comes around, there's silence because there has been immorality. Now, it is possible that Joseph and Mary have tried to explain to their fellow Nazarites that this is not what it looks like. (laughs) I I know what you're thinking. That's not what happened. There has been no immorality here. Uh... You know, how do you say it? An angel appeared, this, the, the, what, Mary's pregnant, it's miraculous, okay? That's going to create a different type of silence. That's, the, that's called the silence of fanatics. Silence of fanaticism. I know about this silence because when, when I first came to Christ in 1981... I was just so excited about Jesus, and I, I was only 19 years old. I had no, and I mean no, social filters at all. <laughs> I didn't know when people weren't listening. I didn't know when they didn't want to talk to me. I, di- I just couldn't figure any of that out, and Jesus said, go tell everybody, and so I would just, every conversation was just an opportunity for me to somehow get Jesus in there. And talk about Jesus, and then if they gave me even that much room, I'm showing them the bridge illustration of how you get saved. And, and so what happened was my family, my poor family, thought I was in a cult. And, and, and I'm from a small town, Milton. Nazareth is a very small town. And so it, this has just got around town that Tommy was just, had, had, he is one of those Jesus freaks. And so I know about the silence where people are talking and they're laughing and then you come up and it's just, whoop, silent. <laughs> and you know that they were talking about you or something, something related to fanaticism. And, um, 
So I, wa- I want you to, I want you to just for a moment, I want you to, I want you to hear the silence around Mary and Joseph. So they come, they come for the census and there is no one there to meet them. There, there is no family. There are no in-laws. They are forced to go to a public inn to try to find a place because, I mean, it's just a disaster. They are in the middle of Mary starts the labor pains and they don't have a place. And there's no room for them at the public inn. But they're pointed to a stable, which would probably be more like a cave. And they're all alone. There, there are no, not only is there no family, there, there's not a midwife. There's not a nurse. There's no one from the medical community. They are all alone to have this baby. Maybe you know what it is to be alone, to feel alone. The silence of Mary and Joseph. Secondly, the silence of darkness. It says that, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. It's nighttime in Judea. But it's not just nighttime in Judea. It is a spiritual night for the human race. There is a spiritual, moral darkness over the human race. I want to read to you Isaiah 9, chapter 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. We can't grasp the light, the great light, until we understand and own the darkness of the human race. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says that that God has left people without excuse because creation itself, that which he has made, is speaking all the time of God's invisible nature, of of his beauty, of his magnificence, of his majesty. Creation itself is a picture, is a proof of the existence of God. And then Romans 1.21 says this, although they knew God because uh, because of the evidence of creation, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we don't respond to God, the result is darkness. The result is more darkness, that our hearts become more distant from the one who created us. Romans 3, 19, Paul says this. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. In the book of Romans, Paul is explaining salvation, explaining how salvation works. And and he says that the Jews who have the law, uh, even though they have the law and they pride themselves that they have the law, he says they don't keep the law. In fact, they've made themselves judges of others and they, they judge everybody else for not keeping the law, yet they themselves are not actually keeping the law. And they've caused God's enemies to blaspheme because of this. So those under Jewish law are silenced before God. That We are all accountable before God. And sin has silenced us. We have no way to save ourselves. Then he talks about the Gentiles. He says those, and those that don't have the Jewish law, they've got another law right inside them called conscience. God has put it within them to know right from wrong. And they have broken right and wrong. They have defiled their conscience. They have sinned in the sight of God. And so that God has created this silence in the human race. We are accountable before a holy judge, every one of us. Yet, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Without grabbing hold of the moral darkness that sin has created, the the moral dilemma that sin has created, you can't grasp what the great light is. The gospel doesn't even make sense to you. Those walking in darkness, living their lives in darkness, have seen a great light. So a few verses later, we find out what the light is. It's Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us, a child is born. A son is given. He will be called, the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the message of the angel. The angel is actually quoting Isaiah 9. I've got good news of great joy, which will be for everybody, all the people. But it's not just for all the people. Unto you. A savior has been born unto you. He was born not just for everybody. He was born for you. There's not just a great light for the human race. There is a great light for you. A great light for me. And then finally, the silence of the Lamb. The worst verse, this isn't my opinion. Everybody's got their own opinions about Christmas carols. The worst verse in all of the Christmas carols, for me, you submit yours later, we'll talk about it, (laughs) is verse three of Away in the Manger. Here it is. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus No crying he makes. Really? 
I am too sorry, folks. Everything about this birth is that this is not going to be easy. This is, everything is hard. God's not making special rules and special privileges. There's not a, a, a palace. There's, the idea that Jesus comes out not crying and he's just this perfect child. He doesn't even need diapers. I, I'm too sorry. I'm too sorry. The idea that Jesus didn't ever cry, I, come on. But actually, there is a time, another time, where Jesus doesn't cry, where he is silent. I want to talk for just a moment about the silence of the Lamb. John 6, says this. Jesus says about himself, no one, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Jesus came in disguise. It says in Isaiah 53 that he had nothing in his appearance would draw anyone to him. He came in disguise. He comes, there's nothing special in, there wasn't a glow around the manger. There's nothing special. You actually, to, to see Jesus, you actually have to be drawn by the Father. But there's only one group drawn to the manger. Only one group does the Father draw, and it's, it's shepherds. They're, they're, they're shepherds in Bethlehem. To grasp why were the shepherds the only one drawn, you have to know just a little about Jewish history and what, what's going on. Bethlehem is a little over five miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple is. The entire Jewish religion is centered around the temple. Because of the Babylonian captivity, there are Jews spread all over the Roman Empire. And they've got synagogues in all these places where they, they teach every Sabbath, every Saturday. They will teach about the law and they will, they will worship in their own way. But to fulfill Jewish religion, it, you, it, it can't all happen in a synagogue. Three times a year, you have to make the journey to Jerusalem. Because true worship only happens at, at the temple. The only sacrifices that can be made are at the temple. So what you have at Passover, Passover requires every single family to sacrifice a lamb. Every, to, just to fulfill the feast, you have to have a lamb. And it has to be a lamb that is without blemish, which means it needs to be inspected by the priest. It needs to be an official lamb that is accepted. So people are coming all over the Roman Empire. So what's happened is the priests have made a business in raising lambs for slaughter that they're going to sell in the temple. You find it in John chapter 2. When Jesus starts his ministry, he clears the temple and the, the sheep are scattered. They are... They are preparing, they're selling the sacrifices that the people need to make. They're pre-inspected. So all of the field, this is tens and thousands of lambs are needed just for Passover. 
So all of the fields around Jerusalem, sheep are being raised not for wool, but for sacrifice. They are watching over the lambs. They are tending the lambs that are going to be sacrificed in the temple. The reason why these are the only ones drawn to the birth is because of who Jesus is and his purpose for coming. Jesus, John the Baptist says it at the beginning of his ministry. Behold the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes into this earth not to give good teaching or be a good example, even though he's got the best teaching and and the best example of all humanity was in Jesus. That's not why he came. He came to die. He came to be the lamb of God that would take away our sin. The shepherds come and they watch over the lamb, which every, every other lamb that they've been watching over has pointed to the lamb of God. But there is... There are three differences between the lambs they were watching and the Lamb of God. Let's get into those three differences. Number one, Jesus would willingly give his life. I want to read Isaiah 53. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. The reason why a lamb is silent before it's slaughtered is because it has no idea what's about to happen. It just, it's just having a regular day. Just, you know, we're going over here, we're doing this, absolutely silent because they don't know they are about to be sacrificed. That's why a lamb is silent. But Jesus is silent for a different reason. Jesus is silent because he chose this. He knows what's going to happen, and he made a choice to come. The person that comes out bad in the salvation story is the father. In most people's minds, Jesus is the good guy, and the father, are you kidding me? The father is commanding his son to go give his life and be killed horribly? So that, so that he can forgive people? Who is he that he would demand that of his son? Folks, that's not how it happened. That was not the father's command. In fact, the whole conversation of Jesus coming here, it, we actually have a little tidbit of the conversation that happened in eternity before Jesus came. Jesus says to the Father, this is in Hebrews, it's a quote from Psalm 40. Jesus says to the Father, prepare for me a body and I will go. Because the blood of animal sacrifices could never 
do the work that needs to be done. Prepare for me a body that I might go. And the father says this, I'm willing, I'm willing to let you go and do this. Without you coming, all of the human race will eventually perish. All of the human race will eventually uh, cease to exist at some point. But if you want to go, I'll let you go under one, one condition. And that is that you get to choose. And you can back out whenever you want to. If you get down there and you don't want to, you don't have to. He said, Pastor Tom, where are you coming up with this stuff? Let me, get, let me back it up and then you can argue with me later on email. I will look forward to those emails. Where are you getting this? Let me, let me give you a couple places. Here's the first one. They have come to take him in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's dark, and the, the priests have come. They've got Judas leading them right to Jesus. Peter pulls out his sword uh, uh, to, to, to fight back and to defend Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. This is in Matthew 26. Peter, put the sword away. All I would have to do is call on my father. And immediately... There would be 12 legions. No, he said more than 12 legions of angels. There's 6,000 in a legion. This is, there would be 72,000. I just need to ask the Father. This is how we left it. All I need to say is Father, and boom, 72,000 angels plus will be here. I don't think, Peter, we need your sword. (laughs) Peter, they're not taking me. They're not taking me. I'm going. I'm going. But here's the most definitive passage. This is in John chapter 10. Let's, let's read this. John 10, 18. No one takes it from me. He's talking about his life. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received of my father. So this was the command the father gave. The command was not, no, you got to go and die for them. That is not the command. Here's the command. You go, you go, but you're free. You're free. If, if you don't want to lay your life down, you don't have to. This is the command I give you. You're free. I will not take your life from you. I will not demand it from you. You need to choose No one, Jesus said, takes my life from me. The father did not take his life from him. He chose to lay it down. But the father did make a promise if he would lay it down. Look at this, John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death which he was to die. So being lifted up is speaking about crucifixion. Notice what Jesus says here. If. If I choose to go through with this, here is the promise the Father gave me. At the birth, only the shepherds are drawn. But here's the promise of the Father. If I will go to the cross... 
everybody will be drawn. The entire world will be drawn. Through my love, through the sacrifice I made for them, the Father is going to draw the entire human race. Every man, woman, and child is going to be drawn. Jesus is different than the lambs they were watching over first because he would willingly give his life. Secondly, because Jesus' sacrifice would remove sin. Look at this passage in, in Hebrews chapter 10. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. See, the way the Jewish system work, worked is you got these three feasts and they go on and on and on every year. These sacrifices, the sacrifice for atonement has to be offered again and again and again because sin is never removed by the blood of sheep. It's only covered. And it's just pushed ahead another year. It's pushed ahead another year. It's pushed ahead another year. See, the wages of sin for mankind was death. A sheep couldn't pay our wages, folks. Somebody had to come from heaven. Really, it could only be God himself that would come. Take on human flesh and pay our price for us. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin is no longer covered when you come to Christ. It's gone. It is gone. It is, it, it is out of God's memory, it says. That is how gone it is. God has in Christ reconciled the world to himself, no longer holding its sins against them. Why? It's been removed by the Lamb of God. He has died in my place. He has died in your place. He has not covered sin. He has removed sin. And then thirdly and finally, Jesus is a gift to us. They had to pay for their lamps. <laughs> they, had to, they went to the temple and whatever sacrifices they were going to make, the priests would sell them the sacrifice and they, and it really, it was, and this is why Jesus, he turns the tables over both at the beginning and at the end of his ministry and says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. It was, they had a monopoly on the market. They could charge whatever they wanted to. People needed approved lambs <laughs> and the priests are the only ones that can approve it. And so they've got this thing running and you go and you pay whatever you have to pay because you can't celebrate without that sacrificial lamb. But Jesus, Jesus comes in a different way. The end of that verse in Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. And then it says this, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So what was going on with me? What's going on? I'm watching the Grinch, and in the Grinch's conversion, I feel it. I feel an ache in my heart. I don't even know what it is. Uh, when we sing these carols, I, 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 I feel this ache. There's, there's a transcendent beauty in O Holy Night and Silent Night and some of the joy to the world. And some of these songs, there's something transcendent. And, and when Linus gets up there and reads the Christmas story, uh, there's some, and of course, Linus reads it in the King James. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So, I, I mean, as a kid, I don't even know really what he's saying. I just, but, but I feel it. I feel like Christmas is about something more. The real meaning of Christmas is not lights and, and, and all of the parties and all of the presents. And there is something else. What was going on in my little heart? I'll tell you what, the father was keeping his promise to his son. If you'll be lifted up, if you will give yourself as the lamb of God, I'm going to draw. I'm going to draw people. I'm going to use everything. I'll use Christmas. I'll use the magic of the season. I will use everything to draw people. I'll use TV specials. I'll use sports characters. I'll use every, everybody. Where, wherever you think I won't be, I'll be there. I'll, I'll raise somebody up, and there will be a draw. There will be a draw. Even though people aren't understanding it. People don't, they can't comprehend what it is. They don't really understand it. We're in such a, the enemy's very good at keeping us so busy and so noisy that we don't really contemplate what the drawing is. But that doesn't mean the drawing isn't there, because it's there. And it was there, I felt it as a little kid. 1981, I'm a freshman at the UW here. I'm majoring in business. I am, I have this horrible experience over the weekend on a, on a Friday, Saturday night with my friends and friends in Whitewater and there was lots of alcohol involved and and. A, a tremendous loneliness that had happened to me and it, it just got me thinking about my whole life. I'm back in my dorm room. It's a Sunday afternoon, 1981. And I'm literally laying on my bed contemplating the meaning of my life. What, what am I doing? Are these even friends? Why am I at the UW? Why am I majoring in business? I, why? I've got no answers. And while I'm contemplating life's meeting, there's this knock at the door. I go down and open up my dorm room door, and there is my friend down the hall named Greg. Well, <laughs> Greg's one of those Jesus freaks. <laughs> I, know, I know all about Greg. Greg talks about Jesus at awkward times. You're supposed to talk about Jesus at church, not out in public. I had many debates with him in the bathroom. We all, we all share the bathroom. It's a, you know, there's 60 guys living on a floor, fourth floor, celery hall. And you go to the bathroom and sometimes other people are in there. And, and Greg would just start up conversations about Jesus and about the Bible. 
And so I talked to, I loved arguing with people about anything. I'd argue with him. So he invites me down to the Bible study. Great, more people to argue with. So I go down there and they were very patient with me and I was just very filled with myself and my own opinions. And, but there was something about this experience that I had had at Whitewater that had left me and he knocks at the door and he says these words, I have got something that I would like to share with you. He said, he said would, you, would you take some moments to let me share with you? And I'm like, okay. I said, why don't we do it in your room? Because my room, I, I, my room was a mess. I go down to his room. He's an engineer. Guys, the, the books were in line. I mean, there was, not, there was not a dust bunny on the floor. It, was, it felt peaceful just to be in his room. It's like, ooh, this is nice. And he, he takes me through something called the four spiritual laws and The first one is that God loves us and he has a plan for our lives. And the second one is that sin separates us from God. And the third one is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Okay, I I grew up in church. I know those. Well, then he got to the fourth one. I've never seen the fourth one. I didn't even know there was a fourth one. And here's the fourth one. Jesus stands at the door of our hearts and of our lives and he knocks Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and sup with them. Sup was the, it was, it was describing the long lunch in the Jewish culture. It was the, it was the meal of intimacy. It was the meal where there was no hurry. It was, it was to be together. And he said, Jesus, Jesus only knocks. See, just like the father didn't command Jesus to come and be the lamb of God, because it was all based out of relationship. Jesus said, I want to go. I want to do this. And father said, okay, I will let you go, but on one condition, you can back out if you need to, anytime. And that it was done out of relationship. This is how salvation works. Why is Jesus knocking at the door? Here's why. He will not force his way in. He's not pushing the door. He knocks on the door. What is that knock? It's drawing. He's drawing us. He's drawing us. He draws us through beauty. He draws us through pain. He draws us through sin that we can't get rid of ourselves. He draws, sometimes he draws through friends that come and say, Jesus is alive, Jesus loves you. Sometimes it's preachers in a church service. Well, that day it was this one college student. And he said, here's the fourth law. Jesus is knocking, but you need to do something. You need to open your door. He won't do it for you. You need to say you want to be saved. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Okay? Now here we go. Let every heart prepare him room. You, you are the one that has to prepare him. The Father will draw. You can't come unless the Father draws. But I don't know why you'd be here today, except the Father's strong. The Father's strong. 
But now it's up to us. We have to prepare him room. Could we have every head bowed and every eye closed? I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're just a lot like me. Christmas is just Christmas and it's stores and lights and something, but it never really became clear what this is actually about. And maybe today it just became really clear. Oh my, Christmas is about a savior has been born for me. I need a savior. I am lost without a savior. I will perish without a savior. There is a savior who wants to give me eternal life, who wants to have a relationship with me. And you're here and you just, you just want to open your heart. Jesus is knocking today. Not my persuasion, not my words, but this has been going on for a long time and you're just recognizing now, I'm being drawn. I'm being drawn. God is knocking on my door. And today, you just want to say yes. You want to open the door. Reason why everybody's heads bowed and eye closed is, is because of this. This is between you and God. You're, you're, no one can do this for you. And it would be wrong to do it because somebody else is doing it or because somebody thinks you should. This is, this is your free will. This is you and God, man. Now, the reason why I'm going to have people raise their hands is this. I didn't know how to open the door. <laughs> and somebody helped me open my door. Somebody gave me words, gave me a prayer to open up my door. And so I, I'm going to have a show of hands and then we're just going to, I'm not going to bring anybody forward. We're not going to do that. I'm just going to pray a prayer that you can pray to God in your heart because I wanna help you open your door. So if that's you today, Jesus is knocking and you will say, yes, I, I need a savior. I want to prepare a room. I wanna open my heart's door. Would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? See that hand and that hand and that hand. All right, let's, can we just put a hand on our hearts right now? Why don't we all do it? Let's all put a hand on our heart. So here's the prayer. You pray it in your own words. I'm just going to pray a prayer. You pray it back to God. And you, you know what? Since we're all doing the, why don't we do this thing out loud? Why don't you just pray after me? Out loud. The whole, whole group. Dear Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for willingly going to the cross for me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. You are the great light that I need. Thank you for knocking on my door and not letting me just go my own way. Father, thank you for drawing me. Thank you for being so patient with me. Today, I want to open my heart by faith, I'm opening my door. 
Jesus, come in and save me. Wash me and forgive me. I receive your gift of eternal life. Right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we all stand to our feet? We're going to sing one song together and then I'll come up and close in prayer. So tonight, I will give a very shortened version of this message, probably in about 10, 15 minutes. And I just want to encourage you, if there's, there's just somebody that needs to be here, maybe God wants to use you as part of his drawing. That, that's one way he draws, is us inviting friends, us loving on friends, us reaching out. That is the Father drawing people. So let's close in prayer and pray for tonight. Lord, thank you for this wonderful service, this wonderful group of people. Thank you, God, for all of the responses right in this room to the Lamb of God who took away our sins. You are amazing, Lord. Holy Spirit, confirm. Confirm the work that you've be begun by our simple prayer. Confirm that that work is real and that we get a new beginning in Jesus. Lord, thank you that you love us, but thank you also that you love everybody that's not in this building right now. Everybody that is in darkness, walking in darkness. Lord, tonight, could they see a great light? And if there's somebody we need to just grab and bring along with us, help us to do that as well. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas, guys.